If you want to go further and add some fun and versatility into your hunting program, check out Can-Am's Defender. Pretty soon I'm headed to my buddy Doug's, and we're going to be running around in Doug's Can-Am because it's like, it's fun. You can get around quietly, easily, all over his property. It's just versatile. Oh, I love it. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online and get serious about backcountry travel, Visit canamoffroad.com. Turn something that you kind of dread driving around into something you love. Visit canamoffroad.com. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, everyone, we're, in, uh, we're jumping into part two of a two-part discussion out of Maverick County, Texas, about... Uh, Two things that, that uh, intrigued me a great deal over the last few years, which is uh, Texas whitetails, okay, so like big giant bucks in Texas and the culture around that and how they're produced. And also um, sort of a rider on that, which is uh, big giant Texas pigs. What's up with wild pigs? Why is it that wild pigs are going to come kill us all? We got way too many wild pigs, but then no one will let you go pig hunting. And what happens with all that pig meat? What's up with shooting pigs from helicopters and all that kind of stuff? Um, same guests as we had on the last episode talking about whitetail bucks and, and growing whitetails and wildlife biology and, and ecology and all that. Whitetail systems. Um, ben Benyon. All right, so... <laughs> I don't want to wear you out. I don't want to wear out my welcome, but I do want to talk about pigs for a minute. I always talk about pigs. Okay. <laughs> I know where to start. What, we, what we've been doing down here, what I can't, like, some months ago, Giannis and I were down here, not, not filming. We were just down here, glad handing, socializing. And we got to yapping with Ben here about whitetails. And he shared with us a piece of information that for, uh, for pretty much his entire adult life, dating back to when he was in high school, he's been involved in trapping wild pigs and selling wild pigs to a slaughter facility. Now, I'm going to lay a little groundwork. If I say something wrong or something that contradicts your understanding, jump in. 
unless you do some big background stuff. Okay. All pigs outside of Africa are one species. So whether you're talking about a razorback, Eurasian wild boar, a Berkshire, those pigs are all, whether he's in Siberia or Texas or California or Hawaii or the Philippines or Poland or Romania, on and on and on. Seuss scrofa, a highly variable species, but one species. They have a lot of variations, but just like dogs, pigs come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. The ancestral pig, the ancestral pig is the what we what you hear referred to as the Eurasian wild boar. Many, many, many years ago, the Eurasian wild boar was domesticated and moved around the world kind of in tandem with human beings. So Polynesians had Eurasian wild boars that they got somehow or another through trade or through catching them and introduced them to a lot of islands in the Pacific, and they spread this animal all around. They made a domesticated version, many domesticated versions of Suscrafa, many domesticated versions of the Eurasian wild boar, the ancestral wild boar. Meanwhile, the ancestral wild species continued to exist. To understand that, think about cows, cattle. Cattle that we know today, our cows that we know today, are a domesticated version of an animal called the oryx. The oryx is extinct. So the actual real thing that was domesticated no longer exists. But we have cows. In the case of pigs, we have the kind we made and the kind that was there. And they have morphologic differences. You can look at them and see characteristics. Either they're pure, like you can go to places and you'd be like... It's just a pure wild pig. No characteristics of, of breeding from human manipulation. And then you have like a pot-bellied pig, which shows a tremendous amount of human manipulation. And then all the gray area between those things. The first people that brought pigs to the new... So the pigs lived just about everywhere, but not in the Western Hemisphere. So there were no... at the, at the time of European contact, before anybody from Europe came over, there were no pigs in Alaska, Canada, the lower 48, Mexico, Central America, South America. Suscrafa was not in any of those places. It came to be in those places initially, the initial burst from the Spaniards, and the Spanish would do things such as bring pigs and put them on islands out in the Gulf of Mexico and have it sort of be like a larder where you could have them out there and know you could go catch them. Pigs would swim to shore. Um, people would just lose track of pigs. In a guy like Daniel Boone's day, you would go out. If you were going out to, to settle in the wilderness, you might go out with pigs and just cut them loose knowing that they would fatten up around there and you could kind of just go find them and almost go hunt up your own pig that was out fattening itself on the landscape. And over the years, we introduced many domestic varieties. Then in the 20s, people started to capture the ancestral Eurasian wild boar, specimens of wild pig, hunt clubs would capture them and bring them and cut them loose on the landscape. So when you look at 
what's going on in the U.S. now, you have some pigs that are essentially an uninterrupted line from wild versions, from the Eurasian wild boars that were just brought here, caught a wild pig, didn't manipulate it through selective breeding and cut it loose. You have escaped like feral domestics. And of course, there's nothing preventing these from all interbreeding. And so you have this great mosaic of uh, different sorts of pigs running around on the landscape. What did you just do to my thing? Uh, oh, did I turn your, your end down? Yeah, the, the guy Tom, the host. <laughs> I thought you might. I thought you might be. I was setting <laughs> the stage, <laughs> man. You might be making yourself deaf, but really, I need to turn the rest no, of ours down. Setting the stage. <laughs> setting the stage to talk about pigs, but I just wanted to lay some foundation because I think I feel as though it's a not very well understood thing. I didn't understand any of that before hearing it. I just thought these were all just the same kind of pig running around. They all broke loose from some facility a bunch of years ago, and they just took over Texas. There's been wild pigs in Texas since the 1500s. Wow. I did not know that. Probably an uninterrupted, uninterrupted line. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And supplemented along the way through all sorts of things, like just some guy, you know, like you got 10 pigs and all of a sudden you wake up and you got nine. And one of them, my old man one time, went in on a pair of pigs with someone and one pig got away. Like this guy had property. He said to my old man, he goes, I'm going to buy two pigs. You pay for all the feed and I give you one when they're fattened. So my old man paid for all the feed. One got away. And then the guy's like, oh, the one that got away, that was your one. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a wild pig somewhere running around in Indiana. I don't know if he survived. Um, Pigs are expanding and you feel that but you spent your whole life down here. And this is like a, this is a great pig habitat. Like yeah. wild pigs have, have been a part of your life for your whole life. Yeah. All right. So now you talk about pigs. Well, you can't give me something a little more narrowed okay. down. Than what that. was your first, um, <laughs> <laughs> did you first start dealing with, well, let me ask you this first. What's your perception of pigs? I On guess. the good to bad. 10, being Satan and one being um, you know, like a, a, a margarita. I mean, I I could I don't know if I could put a number on it, but I I mean, pigs are it's more of a love hate. I love trying to control the numbers, and uh, but at the same time, and I love just trying to annihilate every single one of them. Because that's what you know they're they're so so terrible for the natural habitat, but at the same time it's uh if they were gone, I don't know what I'd do, you yeah. know so i mean it's it's uh I found that again and again with people who are involved in wild pigs is there's an industry around controlling I think people have given up on the idea of eradicating wild pigs, yeah. it can be done on islands, I think it can be done on islands of a certain size, you can eradicate pigs. Yeah, unless you got some sort of disease like swine cholera or something like that that came in and just wiped them out, but that would still be site-specific you know, to an area. Yeah, even on like the Hawaiian Islands, they're considered too big for it to be even possible to eradicate pigs. But, you could, but it, pigs have been successfully eradicated from very small islands. Other than that, it's not going to happen. So, but there's an industry around controlling pig populations. So here's a good place for you to start. Explain the fecundity of a pig. 
the reproductive abilities of a pig? Uh, well, uh, I guess uh, sows like in this in this part of the world, they you know depending on the habitat, their direct reflect of their of their habitat. If they have a lot of food and uh, or good forage and, and plenty of water, and they stay healthy, sow can usually have uh, two litters a year, and uh, you know these that we have here usually have probably four to six. You know, I wouldn't say you know less than eight, but in some areas they can have twelve to fifteen. And usually they're going to raise, a, you know, the vast majority of those, a high percentage, 80%, I would say. We'll reach, we'll reach a year of age or whatever. It'll six, become six months, six months of sexual maturity. So in Six a, months of sexual maturity. Yeah. So one sow can put off, so it's that, not outlandish that a sow would put off in a year, 12 offspring, six females who within six months are able to breed and put off yep, exactly. the same number of offspring. Now compare that to what a white-tailed deer can do. Right. A white-tail is going to breed once a year and possibly on a good year, she's going to raise two fawns. And how old is she got to be to start? Down here, they, they, they can breed at six months and have fawns at a year. Can they really? But that does not happen very often. It's got to be a special. A fawn, like a deer born in May... Well, our, our fawns are born in July, even, oh, that, yeah. which is even later, which doesn't make any sense to that. But, and then uh, they rut in December. They rut in December. But so it's feasible that what, it could be possible that one could become pregnant. Usually what happens with that is, is it's, a, it's a fawn born early, say June. Oh, okay. Comes into, and then that fawn will come into season or uh, estrus in uh, February and be bred in February. Gotcha. And usually, and that's what that gets back goes back to the deer part of the of the discussion, as far as Mother Nature's way of saying screw you, because if you get the habitat on point and just exceptional, that's what happens. Those does are healthier. They breed a little bit earlier. They have fawns a little bit earlier. Those fawns have tremendous amount of milk and uh, grow faster. And then all of a sudden, they're coming into season. And then they're having fawns. Well, that's a baby raising a baby. So her offspring is set back because that offspring is going to be, if she's born, bred in February, yeah. she's going to in turn have them even later. I got you. You know what I so mean? So you made conditions so good that you're deteriorating the, the that's exactly right. health and quality of the animals. That's exactly right. But uh, so, I, oh, go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you want to touch any more on that or go no, back no, to the no, pigs. No, jump back into just, I, I'm just trying to make the point of how quickly pigs. Yeah, well, it's in exponential. The, in the absence of control, yeah. that's, a, that's a word a lot of people have to struggle with. But in the absence of the control, that pigs can become the dominant. Yeah, they will take the dominant over. creature on the landscape. They'll take over everything. They, I think they, they're saying right now that it, you have to, you have to harvest seventy percent of the existing population to have a negative effect on that population. Yeah, and this is the thing that I find that people who grow up or whose whose frame of reference comes from outside of wild pig country, such as myself, becomes hard to understand that. There's just a, a, a generally accepted thing in, in, in wildlife ecology or wildlife management, or let's just say a generally accepted notion in, in environmental thinking is that we should give precedence to native animals, 
So we should promote the like the, the endemic species of the Western Hemisphere, or whatever particular area we have, and, and instead of having like a homogenous world occupied by just Norway rats and Eurasian pigs and Eurasian pigeons and English sparrows that we should try to uh, create an environment where native wildlife can thrive. And doing that in places where pigs were introduced long ago or recently involves trying to really knock back and control non-natives because non-natives aren't from this system. And a lot of the things that might step in and control them in a natural way don't function, don't work. You know, English sparrows. If you're in a grocery store parking lot and there's a bird pecking around under your car, that's probably an English sparrow, which was brought to the U.S. to control, uh, thinking they're going to control insects. And then you wound up having a huge bird problem. And English sparrows almost drove, like, for instance, the eastern bluebird to extinction because they're a cavity nester and they outcompeted our native bird. And the things that held sparrows in check where they came from weren't, didn't apply here. They, they, they got here absent their predators and exploded. So there's a general thinking that we have an obligation to, to cut pigs out as much as we can because we will lose many native species and particularly native ground nesting birds, types of vegetation, if we just let pigs go. Because they're voracious eaters and they eat everything. Right. From grass to bird eggs. Um, and you've been heavily involved in that. Controlling pigs on properties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, now tell me about just how you got started in doing that. I guess, uh, you know, whenever I was, when I was growing up, uh, we hunted, hunted whitetails and pigs were always like a, like a, like a side bonus, you know, cause there was, there was no, there's no laws, no limits. You could, I mean, all you have, if you have a hunting license, you can kill them. So when we'd be hunting whitetails, and and I'd be sitting there with my dad, and we'd say, and he says, "Well, you can't shoot that one because that that deer's too young, that deer's not big enough, this and that, and this and that." And then a pack of pigs comes in. He says, "Here's a rifle. Start shooting." There was no, you know, didn't matter. And that's kind of what got me all fired up about them because you can do whatever you want. You can you can kill ten of them if you want to. And it was that kind of that greed, you know, and <laughs> that hunter greed. Yeah, it kind of started it, and. uh so here's something you can go hunt whenever you want. Right. You can go hunt them any time of the year, whenever you want. All you got to do is have a license and somebody to say, yeah, you can use, go on my property. And most of the time, everybody would say, go ahead for wild pigs. Yeah, because they uh, want to get rid of they them. They wanted to get rid of them because they were so detrimental to uh, grazing pastures for cattle, to cattle feed yards where they're trying to feed them out for, for meat production, and for, for the native wildlife, for, for quail and deer, direct competitors here. Uh, so that, that's kind of what got me started in, in kind of my, uh, my love for, for chasing them and, and trying to get rid of them or trying to kill them. I'm not really trying to get rid of them, but, uh, it's just fun to try because like you said before, <laughs> you're never going to get rid of them. Yeah. All. Eradication has been, I believe it's been sort of like in an academic sense, the idea of eradicating wild pigs has kind of been ruled out. Right. It's not uh, like notwithstanding some technology that might come out that, would be probably very dangerous to deal with, which would be like some kind of disease right. that we could introduce or 
It's, yeah, probably, not, it's probably not going to happen. Right. That's they're exactly. mostly just trying to, I think, just control their control. distribution now, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that's they're trying to they, co- keep their range within Texas and the southeast and not let it spread all over the United States. Yeah, I think that's like, yeah, controlling, um, limiting growth of range, and then controlling within that range. Because part of limiting growth is probably controlling within the range. Yeah. And uh, the uh, I guess uh, the 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 ranch that I grew up on that I mentioned earlier, where I learned everything I've ever known about whitetails, uh, had river bottom, uh, seven miles of a, of a major river, and any in Texas, any any major river had held pigs because it was riparian habitat, but also because floods carried pigs and dispersed them into other areas. And, uh, floods carry pigs. Yeah, flo- well, floods. You know, people would people would have a farm, you know, in a in a pen of pigs next to the river, and oh. then it floods, and they just washes them down the river. Gotcha. So then it just populates further down and further down until it's you know until they're everywhere. So that they they expand along river corridors. Correct. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot better way to put it than what I said. So no, no, I like your way better because it explains how it could happen. Yeah, but uh, but so that's kind of what I I grew up on, and and uh. Aerial, aerial gunning didn't wasn't really uh, uh, a method whenever I was younger, as far as shooting them from the helicopter. And uh, so, the only real way to uh, the only the only options people had to control the numbers was uh, was by hunting and by trapping. Those are the only two options. And shooting with a rifle from a uh, you know from a sitting position or you know just set, setting up on a field. Or uh, or or even spot and stalking, you get one pig or two pigs in a night, and that's a good day. But it had no, it help it did not help have any impact on population control. Whereas trapping, we could uh, or you could you can catch multiple pigs at once, family groups or whatever. But uh, whenever I was younger, my stepdad had two traps that he would use to try to control control pigs. So I'd go and help him and my mom set these traps. Explain one of these traps real quick. Um, they're well, they're exactly what we're using right now. So they're a square square box trap made out of metal with a, a gravity door that it's on a hinge. It falls, uh, you know, you put basically you put a stick under it with a with a tripwire, and uh, they hit the tripwire, pulls the stick out from the door. The door gravity. Pulls the door down and closes and traps the pigs in the. And these are made out of like welded six, well, six and four inch. Welded, uh, welded angle iron is the frame with, uh, with like cattle panel welded inside the, the frame of the, uh, of the, uh, angle iron. And what are the dimensions of those things? Eight feet? By- yeah. Most of them are eight to 10 feet long and four or five feet wide and usually three or four feet tall. Yeah. Just, um, just to demonstrate the efficacy, talk about how many you've ever seen get caught in one trap at one time. I guess, uh, I've caught, I've caught 13 or 14 on several occasions. How many do we have yeah. today in one? Seven. We had seven in one. Um, the other day, so I, I get, that gives you an idea. Yeah, and the other the other day, in, in an eight foot long trap, I caught uh, I had five pigs over a hundred pounds. Because you say numbers, and then people are like, "Oh, they're all babies." Well, I had I had five over a hundred pounds. So, and then four that were forty pounds. How many? Do, so today we checked eight traps and handled how many pigs? We had thirteen thirteen pigs today. So, uh, which a couple of those traps were, and that's a few yeah. hours of work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Just up to, to sit and check. Yeah, I had uh, today and yesterday. Had I've I've trapped 18 days this spring. Had 18 trap nights, and I've caught uh, 
100 pigs as of today. Exactly 100. Exactly 100. It was 99, but then I remember we had one yesterday, so that's 100. And how many did you trap since you started trapping, since you started keeping track? 4795. 4795. Yeah. Yeah, I've said it before, and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And Policy Genius is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, well, will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies, all right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. You can go further with Can-Am. I'm telling you, man, I don't care if you're hunting on a farm, hunting on a ranch, hunting out on public, cruising up and down the beach down in Baja, out in the desert in Sonora where we hunt coos deer. Riding in a Can-Am is just funner than riding a vehicle. Everything about it's better. And you can check these two models out, the Defender. This is the undefeatable workhorse from Can-Am. Because like you, it never quits in the face of the toughest work. It's got HVAC, which keeps you protected from the elements, and you enjoy the perfect temperature when it's freezing cold or real hot. Heavy-duty Rotax engine with a class-leading 69 pound-feet of torque. And check this out, up to 2,500 pounds towing capacity. The Outlander 500 or 700, this is an all-capable workhorse, nothing you can't overcome. HD5, HD7 engines, that power through any job. Engineered with the strength, features, and build to never let you down. So you're getting reliability and a quality build ready for any job with 125 accessory options. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online, visit canamoffroad.com slash hunting. Hey, if you're a hat person and, you know, pretty much everybody that hangs out outside a lot is a hat person, uh, you need to check out the Heartbeat brand. They, these guys make the most unique, comfortable, like just extremely well-made hats you're going to put on your head. These are like, these are hats reimagined. You got to see it for yourself. One of the cool things, I mean, they're like well-made, great material hats, okay? Like like durable, long-lasting hats. But uh, one of the cool things that, that is the logo, okay? Their kind of theme is like what makes your heart beat. So they have a hunting heartbeat, fishing heartbeat, different state heartbeats, okay? 400 styles, so like a heartbeat integrated into the style. 400 styles, something for everybody. They're putting their passion into fashion. So they got a spring special going on right now, all right, at theheartbeatbrand.com. Two hats for 60 bucks. These are good, high-quality, premium hats. Four for $100 or 20% off. Okay, with our promo code Meat Eater at checkout. Again, theheartbeatbrand.com. I challenge you to live with passion. So check it out, theheartbeatbrand.com. So 
so now we'll go back. So your old man had a couple of these traps. Yeah, he had a couple of these traps, and uh, and it's just like I'm sure what you experienced trapping up north, uh, that whole catching or or hunting you know trapping is a just a different way of hunting mm-hmm. and uh where you can set something up to try to trick an animal and then yeah. you go check it the next day to see if you see if you're you know what if you could outsmart them and catch them and it's it, it kind of started out like that so i'd go with him to check them in the morning and you pull up on that trap and there's a hog in it and it just you know it's excitement yep and uh well then i had a mentor in in whenever i was a little bit older when i was first entered high school there was an agriculture teacher who uh who trapped hogs also so i'd I'd go on the weekends and i'd go with my stepdad and trap hogs with his two traps and catch one every once in a while and we'd shoot them just to more than is more just to get try to get get control on the population so uh this ag teacher he started uh i started talking to him and he says yeah well i uh there's a usda inspected uh slaughter facility in my hometown that I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I was 13 or 14 at that time. I didn't know about it. And, uh, it had opened in the early nineties, I think. And, uh, they would buy live wild pigs and, uh, you know, and sell them. They, or they butcher them under USDA inspection and then sell the meat mostly to other countries, a lot of Europe uh, Europe, European countries, um, but they sold all over the world. So these guys are buying wild pigs brought in by trappers, slaughtering them under federal guidelines, and then they can sell them yeah. for public consumption. Yep. They're exporting most of the meat, uh, but they, it was all for human consumption. Yep. And you, like, wild game in the country, like, you can't sell wild game. You cannot sell any kind of wild game. Yeah, so when you yeah. walk into a restaurant, and you, I'm talking to you, the, the, the listener, when you walk into a restaurant in America and you see um, venison, for instance, on the menu, or you see quail on a menu, one of two things is going on. It was either raised on a farm or ranch under like a livestock conditions, okay? Raised on a farm or ranch and slaughtered as like a game farm, or it was imported. Because most venison, when you go into a restaurant, when you buy venison, what you're typically buying, typically, is you're getting red deer, raised on a ranch in new zealand if you go and see elk on a menu in a restaurant what you're doing is you're not buying an elk you're buying yes it's an elk genetically you're just buying a farm animal brought up on a farm um that the fact you can't buy a wild game is is part of what saved american wildlife and it was part of a big suite of wildlife laws that went into effect in the 1930s when we were about running out of wild animals and we were countering the impacts of commercial hunting market hunting the fact that you used to have like absolutely unregulated hunting and you would go out and shoot as many animals as possible year round to sell them into markets so in new york you go down you buy mallard ducks and quail and passenger pigeons which are now extinct and deer meat and on and on and on buffalo tongues stuff killed on the wild and sold um pigs as a non-native are are in a whole other category However, you don't, we don't sell um, hunted wild pigs. Like you can't, when you go into a restaurant, you're not getting hunted wild pigs right. from America. It's pigs that would walk through the door of a slaughter facility. Yeah. Right. 
That's correct. And how did that, like, how old were you when you started to do it, you know? I mean, I was, I guess I was 14 because I built that first trap and that was my, uh, that was a shop project and, uh, metal shop, metal shop. And, uh, and I needed a, I needed a project and, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to, you know, my, my stepdad has two traps. So I'm going to build a third one. And, uh, that's the one you welded the penny onto. No, no, oh. yeah, I was, yeah. I wasn't a good welder back then. I can't, I couldn't have welded a penny on anything, <laughs> but, uh, no, that's my new ones. But, uh, yeah, so that, that old, that original trap, I wanted a third trap and I was going to start, that was going to be my new economic venture for myself for a side job in high school was I was going to start trapping pigs and selling them to this facility and making a paycheck. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what started me is that, that was, that was an idea that I had because this, uh, this, uh, shop teacher, the metal shop teacher had built this fancy trailer where you could run them up a chute and put them in a trailer live very easily. And all these traps that he had built were the right, the same size and all uniform. And he could, uh, he'd trap these pigs on the weekend and then go sell them and he'd make, you know, couple hundred bucks a week or a hundred bucks a week back then or whatever. And, and I saw that and I wanted to do it. I wanted to try it. So that's what got me to build that first trap. So then I started trapping with three traps in a cattle trailer that I pulled behind a single cab Ford Ranger that was not meant for pulling any kind of trailer. And I'd pull it <laughs> hundreds of miles a week. And, uh, hauling pigs back and forth hauling, at that age. At that age. It, well, it, uh, I guess I started, uh, I started, let me back up. Hauling your own when you became a legal driver. Yeah, age. hauling my own when I was 16. From 14 to 16, I got my mom to help me load the pigs in the trailer, and then she'd drive them, and I'd ride in the passenger seat to the, the sale, the, the, the butcher plant, and I'd sell them. And then she, and she was basically, she'd, she'd drive the truck and back up the trailer, and then I'd load the pigs. And, and what then kind of poundages are we talking about? Back then, it was very small scale when I was first started out. I'm talking like I'd get a big, a big, uh, big company check for twelve dollars. Like it was, <laughs> like you get like a pig, yeah, yeah, or two or three small ones that weren't worth much. Yeah. And, uh, and most of those checks were less than a hundred dollars, and I was not making a dollar a profit. I mean, I was way in the hole. Yeah, but it was fun, and I was getting money back. And it was just in the ranch the, or the yeah, property. How much money, when you're like a kid that age, you play video games, you don't make shit back. Right. No, one asked, no one asked you about that. Right. Well, exactly. How much did you make playing video games? Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, the, and the property owners would be, they'd, they'd pay my corn bill or my bait bill with no problem because I was getting rid of pigs for them. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of escalated from there. And then 16, I started driving. And then I got, got in a shop, metal shop a little more and started building more traps. I built my own trailer when I turned 17, which is the trailer we use today. And then I used that, I built that chute about the same time. And, uh, when I was 18, I graduated high school, uh, and went straight into college three days after I graduated high school. And, uh, what happened to the little summer break they give you? Uh, I went into summer school, summer, high, summer college, just cause I wanted to, I, I hated school and I wanted to get it over with. And, a lot of uh, people who hate school take a different approach. <laughs> <laughs> they just well, don't show up. <laughs> well, yeah, I I, uh, I hated school, so I went right back. <laughs> well, yeah, I was I was literally out my senior year summer. I was out of school for three days, and I went right back into summer school. I had a uh, academic scholarships, and uh, 
for for summer class actually so i went right into that to summer school and i'd have class from like 10 to 3 during the day mm-hmm. so i couldn't really work i didn't couldn't have a, a 9 to 5 job on the ranch or on the pro, on the is that i moved in with my mom and my stepdad to live with them through the first year of college or actually it was the first year and a half because i went the summer and uh so i'd trap and they didn't the the ranch the property owners didn't care they wanted to get rid of the pigs so they let me trap. So I I ended up building trap after trap after trap. And at one point that summer, uh, when I was 18, in college, I had 28 traps that I was running. From I was 18 and 19, there was a one-year period. And that's when I started keeping count. That's whenever I realized that, hey, something magical's happening, and I need to start writing this shit down. <laughs> And, the uh, magic being, being high volumes of pigs. High volumes of pigs. I learned how to do this stuff right kind yeah. of deal. And uh, that first year, I trapped 1,800. Then you're making money. Then I was, I was, making, I was making like four grand a month in, in college. college. And, and this was, you know, 12 years ago. <laughs> and uh, trapping pigs. And, uh, and I didn't have the, the property owner paid my corn and paid most of my fuel. Because I was getting rid of the pigs for him, so How I was, not, and you just still didn't run out of pigs. No, no, it's you had to have been putting a dent. In them. Oh, because after I caught that eighteen hundred that first year, I never caught more than four hundred after that in one year. Okay, so it it went way down. Like I got all the dumb ones out of the way that first year. So you went into a, just an unexploited resource. Yeah, yeah. Had, no in, one had been going after him, pouring pouring no, to him like that. Nobody had touched him. Yeah, and they were just. They were all naive and would go in any trap. You didn't have to think about it or anything. Yeah. The ones that are left on that property, the big ones, will never be trapped because of me. They're not going to go into the trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something happened where they got out or something, you know, and they're, and they're smart now. They'll never, if they see a trap, they're going to leave. What's, what's the biggest wild pig you ever trapped? I got five right now. I've over 300 pounds. Man. So can you speak to, and you have a great amount of authority on the subject. No one's going to question your authority on the subject. Can you speak to, for once and for all, the whole like pigzilla bullshit? <laughs> like when a guy comes out and says, I killed an 11, or no, let's not even give him that. I killed an 800 pound wild pig. Will you tell listeners what that man killed? It was a domestic pig. <laughs> <laughs> straight up domestic pig those you know feral pigs don't get that big on you know natural food yeah someone was feeding that pig and protecting that pig and raising that pig up so that someone could then shoot it with a gun and right. say they killed an 1100 pound or whatever giant right. they probably he was probably in the wild and the in the hunter may not have known but he didn't grow up in he the didn't wild. get that way that right way. he was turned out yeah for in, in my opinion yeah. So of all of that 4000 what 4795. Okay. So out of 4795 wild pigs you trapped. Not in high fence pig raising operations, but wild ass pigs born in the wild, running around doing wild pig stuff. The biggest one was I think it was 317. There you have it. Yeah. I well, need your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and now uh now I now I killed one. I killed one that was bigger than that. 
I, uh, I killed one with my dogs. I caught one with my dogs that without guts was 340. Okay. And, uh, but still and, not eight. No, he was four. <laughs> that one was 410 live. And that was, he, I, I mean, I have pictures of him and everybody says he's 700 pounds or whatever. So. And do you, what do you think? Do you think that pig was just based on your impressions of location and condition? You feel that pig got that big in the wild? Yeah, he was just a fluke. He was a, he was an outlier. Okay. It was it was a year I killed him in October, and it was an exceptional uh, uh, fruit year as far as the prickly pear fruit and the mesquite beans, which are both nothing but pure starch and sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's I have a feeling I I attribute his size to to that. I think he had the frame, a, a huge frame, and he just packed on the pounds that yeah. that particular. Well, he had year. a lot of body fat. Yeah, yeah. What a what impact do you feel um, – let me try to find out where I'm putting this. So in this country, when did people start feeding corn to deer? Man, I don't know. Uh, Scott would know more than that, way before me. Uh, Is that right? <laughs> yeah. People were using corn feeders to attract yeah, and for- manipulate deer longer than your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember guys talking about using – Using corn in the seventies in in you know bef- you, without feeders, just pouring it on the ground. And I know earlier we were saying that wild pigs have been here um, since the fifteen hundreds, but did the practice of corn give us the, the the wild pigs we know now? The numbers of wild pigs we know now. I think I think I think it's a it's a definitely a contributing factor to the because I. I feel like we have, even on this place, we have an artificial population that we created with through feeding, through, through feeding corn. deer. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, it, it creates, it, it just creates healthier, healthier females, which in turn produce more young. Yeah. Um, in the absence of corn, this is a two-part question. In the absence of corn, what are the pigs eating? And if... And what percentage of their diet is made up of corn that they're scrapping out of deer feeding deer feeders? I don't, I don't know, uh, man. I don't know if I could even answer that. They eat so much. There's such a variety in their diet as far as they eat anything from rotten fish that came, you know, that died in the creek to, you know, to to birds to to bird nests to, I mean, to the fruit the natural fruit that's produced on the prickly pear and the mesquite in the mesquite trees. I mean, they, there's such a, such a variety. I don't even know how to everything. Yeah. They just, they eat everything. So I don't know how to answer, you know, what, what percentage of their diet would, uh, would deer corn be because I even do, do they, are they subsisting? Are there pigs that subsist exclusively on deer corn? Or do you always find some native vegetation or native matter? There, there's always something different in there. There's always something different in their guts, and they're they're a simple stomach, so they don't they don't uh when you open up a uh, uh when you open up their stomach, most of the stuff in their stomach is not fully digested, so you can tell what it is, and it's there's all sorts of things in there. So uh, if no one, if again let, let this situation, I keep jumping into. I know it's a really complicated situation, but let's like, like all people cease to exist, people all die. Yeah. Um. Do you feel there'd be a crash in pig numbers? I think they would slow down. I don't think I don't know that they necessarily crash, but I don't think that they would increase. 
as yeah. as fast as they are now. Uh, there was this is a uh, this particular property before I got here did never fed, and there was pigs here, and they were running cattle, and they were running cattle. But uh, they are. Uh, and you guys, when you came in here, though, I remember you saying that when you came in here, there was a shitload of pigs. There was a shitload of pigs. Very few small pigs, like babies, which meant that they the reproduction wasn't there. Uh, or they had just hit capacity and weren't putting off big litters. Yeah, I don't know. Or that, don't pigs I put think, the brakes on like that? I think pigs disperse before they would do that. Okay. I think they would disperse into the next, you know, yeah, and and before all they would of, cease to reproduce, they would just they would be just move. Yeah, and in our neighbors, our neighbors, all of our neighbors, all the way around, uh, they put tons of hunting pressure on. So that's why I feel like that's why we, they were concentrated on us. I got you. So when you came in, no, this property had never had corn feeders on it, even a few years ago. No, no, maybe a little bit. You know, in December, somebody might have came in and spread a little bit of corn on the road, but not enough to. Yeah, make a difference. But it had a pile of pigs. Yeah, and then another interesting thing about corn you were telling me about is that right now deer could care less about corn. Yeah, they or don't. couldn't care less about corn. Right, right. Deer, deer eat, deer eat what they need. Uh, the reason that corn works so well in the winter time is because there's very little natural food, so they deer turn to corn. Uh, this time of year, there's so much natural forage for them in the in the brush in the in the brush and the brows and the forbs that we have growing right now especially after rain like we have like now when it's so green they don't have any desire to come to corn even though it's like candy to them they'd still prefer natural brows but the pig likes corn yeah the pig's gonna take corn because it's the easy way out and then uh explain <laughs> talk about the bait you like to make okay well to lure pigs into a trap yeah, I, I use two different ones. I uh, I use just straight up sour corn, which is just corn with water, and it just ferments and, and turns rotten and it stinks. Oh and, my uh, god, does it stink? Yeah, and uh, that one's that one's good. But the one I prefer is uh, is a little mixture that I've come up with. I, I read it in an article in a magazine uh, several years ago and kind of touched touched it up, you know, manipulated it into my own uh, recipe now. And it's uh, it's a hundred pounds of corn, fifty pounds of Milo. Uh, 25 pounds of sugar, three packets of baker's yeast, uh, about 10 or 12 packets of uh, raspberry jello, and uh, three canisters of tropical punch Kool Aid, and mix that up it's in a. Me hungry. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'll go get some if you want some, and uh, and uh, mix all that up in a 55 gallon drum barrel and uh, fill it with water till the water is about 10 inches over the top of the, the grain and put a lid over it and uh, with a small pinhole in it and it uh, let it ferment and let it ferment in a six pack of beer just to speed up the fermentation project. And it smells process. like Boone's Farm. It smells exactly like Strawberry Strawberry Hill Boone's Farm. That's how they make that actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just filter out all the other stuff. Yeah. They strain out the corn <laughs> yeah. and sell yeah. that stuff to college kids. <laughs> Do how we, much time does it need for cooking? Uh, two weeks, two weeks this time of year, which is we're in, we're in the end of May right now with about 90 degree days. So, uh, two weeks of, of summertime in the sun is, is primo is prime. Um, you can use it earlier than that. The re the main reason I use that stuff is to keep, uh, non-targets like deer and turkeys out of the traps. They don't like that stuff. They don't like that stuff, but it also, pigs can smell it from such a greater distance and you, the deer and turkeys don't even 
bother your traps or come up to them. Whereas if you use regular corn, you're going to have a bunch of bycatch of in, in stuff that I don't want to have to explain to somebody as far as catching a deer or turkey, yeah, which isn't legal. You have to turn them loose, and it's not good. Yeah, uh, so best put something in there they're not going to eat. Right. What was your bait like prior to finding this recipe? Uh, I used corn whenever I was in high school. Just Solid straight, corn? just no, just straight corn, and I caught a lot of deer. Really? <laughs> yeah, they'll go in there. Yeah, and I and that was not sitting well with the property owner. So I had to figure out how to, to do something different, and that's whenever I switched to uh, to, to sour corn, to just straight sour corn. Yeah, and I I I think I figured out that or I found that recipe right in that time frame of that of that first strong year around eighteen nineteen whenever I hammered that eighteen hundred. How much does it make? How much does it cost to make a barrel of that? It's a it's about a hundred dollar bill to make a barrel. And then, but that's a hell of a lot of bait. That's enough bait because I use it I use it in in you know very small amounts in in tandem with something else uh or with with the sour corn or the regular corn and i'll uh so it'll last it'll last me an entire trap season which yeah. an entire trap season for me right now is about two months um and i usually do that in the springtime when it's still cool uh winter time i don't have time because we're doing the deer deer stuff and i don't have time to mess with pigs summertime it's too hot and they die really quick they overheat because they can't sweat. Too stress so, on the animal yeah they stress out super super fast and uh so I, I usually try to trap somewhere between February and the end of May. I usually try to do a 60-day stint in there. This year I didn't quite – I only – I had uh, 18 trap days, but that's actually about, you know, 35 to 40 work days as far as moving traps, pre-baiting and everything. Yeah. How many pigs did you pull off the first year you trapped this place, and how many pigs did you pull off this year? It's that first year I had about 350, and then this year I had 100. So you – it's slowing down. Them. Yeah, it's they're slowing down. Yeah. yeah, I like the way we're going right now. If I could do a hundred a year consistently, I'd be that it would satisfy my bloodthirst without eradicating them. So I'd be happy with a hundred a year. So, yeah. yeah. Walk me through the sale process. Uh, you load these things in a trailer and drive them down the road. Wild pigs. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And you get some serious looks driving down the highway with uh, with a bunch of wild pigs in a trailer. So yeah. So what he does, he backs up a trailer. So you got the trap. Yeah. You got a little chute. Yep. That's like a splice between the trap and the trailer with a ramp in it. Yep. Yeah. Back it up. Back the trailer up to the trap. So you can't be. You're not lugging these things out in the middle of the desert. I mean, you're setting it like where you can get a vehicle to it. Right. You have to. Yeah. And then open the door. Pigs run trap up. Trap goes to the chute. To, trap, know, yeah. yeah. Pig runs out of the trap into the chute, into the trailer, double door on the trailer, so you can load more. Multiple hogs at one time. Yeah, so you have some up in a holding area, and then you got an area they run into, and then you let those in and yep. basically acts like a storm door. Yep, yep. Um, honey tuck. What? Honey tuck. That's what they call them in Alaska. The, they do? Yeah. Hmm. The little... Uh, before you go into the house where you take off your boots. Yep. And then you drive down the road and go to the place. Yeah. I usually, what I'll usually do is I'll hold them up. I, I have a pen that I have uh, shade and water in and I'll hold them until I can get about, you know, enough for a, a paycheck. So I usually try to get 10 or more. And uh, if I get, sometimes that takes two days. Sometimes it takes five days. Uh, I don't ever let them sit in a pen more than five days. If I only have two, I'll still take them in after five days. Just, just because I don't like having to 
mess with them in a pen as far as taking care of them. And, and they don't want you feeding them. And they don't want you to feed them out. They want them, they want them as wild as they can be. Because they're selling them as wild pigs. They're si- selling them as wild boar. If they're castrated, they will not buy them. Really? Yeah. Because it affects the flavor of the meat. And what's the minimum weight they'll accept? Right now, it's 40 pounds. That changes. 40 pounds live weight. I think they call it, uh, I think it's, uh, I can't remember. It's, it's all kilograms, but uh, it's 40 pounds right now. And sometimes it, they move it up to 80. So it has to be a minimum of 80. But right now, it's 40 pounds. But right now, for a 40 pound pig, they're giving you seven and a half cents a pound. For a forty-pound pig, which isn't even worth your time. Okay. And then what's uh, the next skate? What's the next step up? Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to look. I think it's 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 forty to eighty is seven and a half cents a pound. Eighty to a hundred is twenty cents a pound, and then a hundred and one and up is thirty-five cents a pound, and then one hundred to one fifty, you get you start into head bonuses. So they give you a bonus for per pig. Uh, so like a hundred to one fifty is a five dollars on top of the thirty five cents. So that'd be forty dollars for a hundred pound pig, and then a hundred and fifty to two fifty is a ten dollar head bonus at thirty five cents. Then a, a two fifty and up is a fifteen dollar head bonus plus thirty five cents a pound. So uh, uh, what is that? How you get like a hundred and ten dollars for a real big one, um, whereas a little one you're getting three dollars. Yeah. You know, so it makes, you know, you always want the 100 pounds plus, I call those money hogs because you're getting $40 for a money hog. For a 100 pound plus, you get $40. So all those get, ones that are not worth, not of sale price, you just dress them out and bring them to families. Right. I usually give them away to families in need. A lot of families that I give them to, that's the only meat they get for the year. They can't afford to, to go to the store and buy meat, and they're not on government assistance. So the only meat that they get is coming from that cooler down there and you bring them to them dressed out yeah bring them to them dressed out and they'll bring it in their kitchen table and sit on their kitchen table and work on it just a gutted out pig yeah yeah Yeah. and the whole family it's like it's 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 a lot like the native villages up north it's just everybody gets involved and nothing goes to waste yeah the ones you can sell you bring down there and you pull up in your trailer and those things are getting slaughtered that day a lot of times they're getting slaughtered that day, depending on what time I show up. But I think they buy right now. They're buying nine nine o'clock in the morning to noon, and they butcher until five that day. So, and uh, they try to do three hundred a day right now. Um, they operate Monday through Friday, and they're doing about three hundred a day, or they try to try to reach at least three hundred a day. And uh, so I'll back up. I pull up there with my trailer, back up to their to their uh, offshoot or their unloading chute. And I unload all my pigs into that. It's like a holding pen. We shut the door, and it has a scale on one end that has uh, uh, kind of guillotine doors on each end. So we'll run one pig in at a time, and it's a uh, balance. You don't mean it, balance that, scale. Uh, that's going to trip people up. He doesn't mean guillotine like it's not cutting the pig. Yeah, uh, just it's like a sliding the, door. Yes, sliding yeah, yeah, door. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, so it's a sliding door on each end. So so it's like a it's like it'd be like a square box. Where you open one end, the pig runs in, you close that in, so you have one pig enclosed in the box, and then it's it's sitting on a balance uh balance scale and uh with uh with counterweight so so uh that's that's how the scale works, and you weigh them individual pigs one at a time until you weigh them all they you write down the the weights on the sheet and then the whoever's weighing signs the sheet 
and then sends the sheet up to the main office and you go up to the main office and they cut you a check right there. Right there. Yeah, and they, they write down, they record uh, the location, the pigs were trapped, how many days it took you to trap them. Uh, I can't remember. There's a, there's a handful of questions. If it was a wooded area, open area, or farmland. Why do they care about that? I don't know. I don't. I, I think it's just survey stuff. Okay. But it's a it's a sheet you fill out every time. So what do you what do you uh, put down? Cool. For, what do you put down for yeah. here? Good info. This is this is wooded or wooded even area. Tired, six feet tall. Wooded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not. It's not, you wouldn't call this open. Uh, no, for sure. They, they're they're talking about like open fields for yeah, open. And I then, got you. Or farmland. What's the most you ever hauled into one trip? I uh, that day I, I caught my best day. I caught forty seven, and. I hauled in 47 that day. They were all big enough to sell, and I hauled them in a gooseneck trailer. 47 big enough to sell. Yeah. So that was a fat-ass check. Yeah, it was like 1800 bucks or something. I think it was, about, it was under two grand. But What's your I, reaction down at the slaughterhouse when you roll in with 47 there's, screaming hogs? There's Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a hard time getting enough guys to trap picks. Yeah. As much as you hear about all the picks. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it's it's a lot of work. I mean, it's you, y'all saw just a, you know, y'all saw just a couple of days worth and and that's on a, you know, that's it's a lot of work for people and they just don't Yeah. You know, in the in the people don't like that kind. Of, people don't like to work a whole bunch. No, not that kind of work. Not that. That's yeah, not that kind. Of, they don't want to go get stinky and then go get, you know, they don't want to use bait that stinks like shit to catch hogs that then throw water that smells like shit on them. I took a shot of that water to the eye today. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the observation I have about pigs. This is something I've struggled with for a long time. No matter what source it is, whether it's newspapers, nightly news programs, outdoor television, you get the sense that holy shit, Wild pigs are going to kill us all. (laughs) But time and again, I hear from people who say, man, would I love to go hunt wild pigs? It's so expensive. Why is it? Why why are people able to charge for pig hunts? You know, when... That's changing. I don't know if that's that way anymore. Yeah, right? they're they're not that expensive down here. Um, but it's you it, go online and type in pig hunts. The the top thousand hits are going to be you paying someone to hunt pigs. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're getting paid to hunt pigs. Yeah. What's going on there? Do you understand? Do you understand the question? No, maybe not. Yeah, just ask the question. No, Chris, <laughs> you haven't said it. <laughs> <laughs> Word. <laughs> Ask my question. Uh, why is it that you could get paid to trap a pig, but if you want to shoot it, you got to pay to do it if you don't have land? He was paying attention. Yeah. Why are there not farmers out there with a big sign that says, welcome hunters? Because the general public are idiots and they don't hunt them on their property for the most part. So the one thing they hate more than pigs is <laughs> it's the people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. It's got to be. But, uh, and, and it's just the, the commercial, the people that are selling the pigs, they're doing it for financial gain for themselves. They're buying pigs, importing them into their property for sale. There's very few people 
that have pigs accidentally that are selling pig hunts. Oh, say that again? Does oh, that- yeah, because that's the thing you were telling me. Are you able to talk about that? That some guys, I'll whisper to you, that some guys trap pigs and sell them to places that hire for pig hunts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's te- <laughs> I've been approached about it several times, and I, I've done it a few times back a uh, long time ago. And uh, well, uh, Beyond the statute of limitations. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't do it anymore just because it's, it's an ethics thing to myself. But uh, there's laws against transporting live wild pigs and turning them loose alive yep. for, even, for any purpose. Well, uh, it's illegal, but... It's not a game animal, so the game department does not enforce that law. Gotcha. It's a uh, uh, what do you call it? A uh, it's a federal thing. Yeah, it's USDA, but it's uh, there's a it's USDA in, enforced, but they don't have someone that actually enforces it. Yep. Even though it is a law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's I can't remember what it is. Uh, Animal Health Commission is uh, is is kind of a big part of that so if you called them and said hey man can i bring a bunch of pigs over and sell them to a guy who's gonna then sell them to hunters online they would say nope but no one's gonna actually stop you exactly yeah exactly and a guy when you go online he's like night vision pig hunts he's buying those pigs yeah from a trapper or someone putting them into his penned facility then telling Joe Blow from online, we got a serious pig problem down here in Texas. Come down and get a, you know, all dressed up in tactical gear and come out and shoot these here pigs that I just bought. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. You can go further with Can-Am. I'm telling you, man, I don't care if you're hunting on a farm, hunting on a ranch, hunting out on public cruising up and down the beach down in Baja out in the desert in Sonora where we hunt coos deer riding in a Can-Am is just funner than riding a vehicle everything about it's better and you can check these two models out the Defender this is the undefeatable workhorse from Can-Am because like you it never quits in the face of the toughest work and it's got HVAC which keeps you protected from the elements and you can enjoy the perfect temperature when it's freezing cold or real hot heavy duty Rotax engine with a class-leading 69 pound-feet of torque. And check this out, up to 2,500 pounds towing capacity. The Outlander 500 or 700, this is an all-capable workhorse, nothing you can't overcome. HD5, HD7 engines that power through any job. Engineered with the strength, features, and build, to never let you down. So you're getting reliability and a quality build ready for any job with 125 accessory options. To find your next Can-Am or to shop online, visit canamoffroad.com slash hunting. Hey, if you're a hat person and, you know, pretty much everybody that hangs out outside a lot is a hat person, uh, you need to check out the Heartbeat brand. They, these guys make the most unique, comfortable, like just extremely well-made hats you're going to put on your head. These are like, these are hats reimagined. You got to see it for yourself. One of the cool things, I mean, they're like well-made, great material hats, okay? Like like durable, long-lasting hats. But uh, one of the cool things that, that is the logo, okay? Their kind of theme is like what makes your heartbeat. So they have a hunting heartbeat, fishing heartbeat, different state heartbeats, okay? 400 styles, so like a heartbeat integrated into the style. 400 styles, something for everybody. 
They're putting their passion into fashion. So they got a spring special going on right now. All right. At theheartbeatbrand.com. Two hats for 60 bucks. These are good, high quality, premium hats. Four for $100 or 20% off. Okay. With our promo code Meat Eater at checkout. Again, theheartbeatbrand.com. I challenge you to live with passion. So check it out, theheartbeatbrand.com. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Yeah. Damn. You got any questions about that? The, the Chris people, and well, yeah. I got a few. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no, now that you're exhausted, we're. we're gonna I want to. There's a, there's a, there's another man in the room. I'm not going to identify him because he's he's just hanging out. He's actually cooked this dinner. He's having a cold beer. Um, sir, does all of this sound like does does all of this? You're born and raised in Texas. Worked in law enforcement. Does all does all the stuff we're talking about? Sound accurate. The pigs can be trapped and relocated to a ranch, but they have to go directly to that ranch. The ranch has to be inspected by a USDA inspector to make sure that the pigs that are relocated there cannot get out of that perimeter fence. And if it's a board, it has to be castrated before they can be released on that property line. I thought it was uh, it was oh, castrated uh, boars only, no females. That may be. Yeah. Okay. So, do you I, think people could hear that? No. You got okay. To so, sum that up. Well, so or just say it was, you no, know, but, in, integrate what he was saying into what you were saying, and right, give the whole right. picture. And, and I know, and I know exactly what he what what he's uh, what he's talking about. The, there is a there is a uh, there the sale of pigs for commercial hunting is possible. But the facility that the pigs are turned out in has to be inspected to be considered pig-proof. And the only pigs that are allowed to be transported and released for hunting are castrated males. Females are not allowed to be released yep. for hunting purposes. So uh, you go into a place and shoot a pig and it doesn't have any nuts. That's what I was going to say. Something is going on. You right. pay a bunch of money and you walk <laughs> up to your nutless pig and you're like, well, how'd that happen? Yeah, you but, probably could have got a better deal going to hunt one of my brother's lambs. But but again, again, <laughs> nobody enforces that. You know, there's, there's no, no division. There's no, no division to enforce that that law is being followed. You believe that, sir? He's nodding yes. The law, our... our, our uh, 
our expert, our law enforcement individual <laughs> is nodding that he agrees that there's not enforcement on that. Right. Um, man. But for trophy purposes, you probably get a nice trophy out of a castrated boar, right? The, the castrated boars are, are, are perfect trophies because the meat is great and they usually, their, uh, their teeth grow differently when you're cat, when they're castrated. They call them barred hog. Yeah, they're barred. So they, when a, when a, when a boar has testosterone. Can I tell you how it was put to by me or not how it was put to me? Yeah, go ahead. That it takes their mind off of grass. No, that it takes their mind off of ass and puts it onto grass. Right. But I'm talking about their teeth (laughs) for trophy, for trophy purposes. I'm talking about their teeth growth changes when you castrate a pig, when you bar a pig. They, uh, the testosterone is what keeps the top teeth growing to uh, to sharpen the bottom teeth. Okay. So when you uh, when you take away that testosterone influx, their bottom teeth continue to grow without being uh, sharpened down. Which one's the wetter? Purposes. Which is the cutter? When people say that, wetter is on top. That's what, the like sharper. Whetstone. Yeah. And uh, and that's the one I believe that one stops growing whenever they're castrated, and the bottoms just continue to grow to enormous lengths. So, so he starts to look more vicious, but in yes. temperament, he's not vicious. Right? So it's all, all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Right? On the wall, when you got his mouth open and his hair all standing up, people walking your office go, "Look at that thing!" Yeah. And little do they know, yeah, it was a eunuch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, a eunuch who who just thinks about grass. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly right. Oh my god! I don't even know what else to say. I need to take a break. Just to clear my like the pig. <laughs> I think that someone. I think that someday a historian is just going to need to just do a, like a big investigation and take a very careful look at just like wild pigs in America, and hopefully do a different story than. Wild pigs are going to kill us all. Or so-and-so shot an 1,100-pound super pig. Yeah. But, like, it just seems a very rich field to to, to tap into. And and it's uh, the the thing, it's just a huge resource that we can – there's got to be a niche that we can put it into, even though it doesn't – it's not native and it didn't have one. There's got to be something that we can – you know, we can benefit from it. In California, it's a flat-out game animal. And see, that... that you buy a tag, you got to put that tag on the damn pig. It's like a non-resident, it's like 75 bucks. It's a... They, like, they don't have a lot of game. Like, you know, native game is not... Yeah. I should say they don't have a lot of game. It's not a great hunt. That's going to sound awful for people living in California. I've hunted in California. It's just like, relative to other Western states, it's not a great hunting state. They have pigs. There's a tremendous amount of interest in pigs. People like to hunt wild pigs. They like to eat wild pigs. I love to hunt and eat wild pigs. And they treat them like a game animal. It's none of this like non-game, do whatever you want. You, well, know, see, you buy the, a tag. And uh, treating them like a game animal is, is creating them, in my opinion, it's, uh, it's the reverse effect that, like you were talking about earlier with deer and elk, back in the, uh, when the market hunting was going on and we, impl- we put into place all these laws to protect protect and put value on game animals so people started protecting them and now there's more than there's ever been well pigs people are starting to put value on them as a hunting animal in commercial hunt 
commercial commercially hunt them, and uh, that's creating a reverse effect. Is there's they're overpopulating. They're growing to a point where we can't control them. Yeah, because there's enough people out there protecting them. Are you aware that a handful of states in the eastern U.S. have made it illegal? One or a handful. No, it's a handful. And not just made it the illegal to hunt pigs. Yeah. It's thinking a, that thinking that by making it illegal to hunt wild pigs, you would interfere with the introduction of wild pigs for the sake of hunting. Because like with California, when they trace back a certain strain of wild pigs they have there, they were brought in to hunt. Well that's Oklahoma's going through a big a big deal about that right now, about a law change about something about uh, hunting pigs at night or something like that. They're thinking that it would help eradicate the pigs, and all it's actually going to do is create more problems for law enforcement. Um, I believe the law was something along the lines of you can hunt pigs at night without a license. And the way the laws read now in Oklahoma, you have to have a license to hunt anything, and you you cannot hunt anything at night. So that's going to cause a whole new can of worms for law enforcement to enforce those laws. Yeah. And, uh, but no, I, I agree. I think that's a good way. If you really wanted to get rid of them to make it illegal to commercially hunt pigs, to charge people to hunt pigs, that would be a good way to slow down their it growth. It would de-incentivize people to shelter pigs. Exactly. If you were serious about getting rid of pigs. If you were serious about getting rid of them. Now. And not only shelter, but transport transport introduce yeah foster the growth of that's exactly right is helicopter hunting for pigs sport or control depends on who's shooting uh like would it exist outside of recreational hunting oh yeah it did way before all these they started charging i'm really surprised they actually uh like in texas that law just passed uh it's been recent years that it passed where you could actually sell hunts to the public to shoot pigs out of a helicopter. So they were doing helicopter culling. Before they were doing, it was all helicopter. Like you didn't, you couldn't pay somebody to go do it. Okay. Uh, you, you would have a landowner pay the helicopter time and invite guests to do it. But it was illegal to actually, you couldn't hunt. advertise a, a helicopter hunt until a few years ago. Um, you couldn't advertise on, a, on an outfitter's website. He couldn't say, hey, come out and hunt with me in my helicopter. So what gave birth to the helicopter hunt for hogs? Just, uh, fast way to shoot a bunch of pigs. Fast way to shoot, you know, just the bloodthirst, bloodthirst of, of people. But, but it, it wasn't a control mechanism? It's, I mean, it started as control, but people were having so much fun. They're like, hey, we can charge for this. Yeah. You know, let's figure out a way to get this. But it started out like the same way they do like aerial wolf control in Alaska. It started out like part of someone's job yep. is to go out and reduce the numbers of pigs. A very effective way of doing that is to shoot them from a helicopter. Right. It's just like it would be like me starting to charge people to come out here and run my traps. Yeah, it's similar situation. It's no, just with you. a lot more fun with a helicopter. Yeah. So, uh, what's meat recovery like with helicopter shooting? I most people that I know don't. They might keep one or two, and they they run them to a field and shoot them in a field or something, so they can retrieve them. Yeah, but most for the most part, they just leave them lay. You just can't retrieve them. No, because they you can't you know you can't get to them. Uh, in in a uh, you can't get to them with a vehicle. You could walk in and pack them out, but they're shooting, you know, a hundred or even two hundred or three hundred a day, 
and there's nobody, you know, and if it's hot, there's no way that meat's going to stay good. Yeah, you'd have to be uh, dropping little smoke canisters too. Right, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I've shot them. I've ran them out into fields uh, and shot them with a, with a helicopter with the intention of going back and getting those pigs to eat. And uh, by the time we're done flying for that day, I go back and get them, and either the vultures have started or they're 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 no good. This meat spoiled or because too hot. Yeah, it's too hot. Not gutted. Even in the winter time, if you don't gut something down here, it's not. It doesn't get cold in South Texas uh, in the winter time. Even it's cold for us, but it's not cold enough to sustain a ungutted animal for more than a few hours. If that does that. Yeah, make, they spoil that fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, even in the wintertime. What are the best – we, over the last few days, like we, we've been talking a lot about meat quality on pigs. We butchered a bunch of pigs for meat today. Yeah. Give some thoughts on like what, what's the best – what are the best pigs to eat? I keep uh, – for my own. Um, You're real particular. Yeah, I, I, I keep about maybe one in every three or four hundred. Uh, what's the one we're eating tonight? It's one of those. It's uh, Basically, it's a sow, female – not too old, uh, extreme excess amount of fat. And, uh, usually they put on that fat about, uh, I guess halfway to halfway to three quarters of the way through their pregnancy before they start lactating at all. And uh, that's when they have the most body fat and they're doing nothing but eating. And, uh, I try to, I try to shoot them either in the head or somewhere, or in the shoulders, or somewhere that's going to uh, put them down without any kind of adrenaline rush or, or any kind. Of, so trap pigs, I'm not a big fan of trap pigs because they they and or dogs dog caught pigs because they uh, have adrenaline and it's a lactic buildup, lactic acid buildup in the muscle, and it and it makes the meat a little tough and it makes it a little gamey. So you'd rather um, just get him in a hunting style in a in a hunting style you don't know what's going on and bam he's dead right exactly he doesn't have no idea he's just sitting there you know eating acorns or or you know whatever he's doing eating corn and just and shoot him and he's down and then go up there and bleed him out and then i i i completely skin him and then gut him hanging up and wash everything down so i don't have any hair or blood or anything anywhere it's not supposed to be I'm not saying that's the only way that you can do it. That's how you do it. But that's the way that I like to do it because I can. And one in every three or 400 is where you go like, that one is for my freezer. Yeah, that one right there. Not giving it away, not selling it. Right. Why do you skin them first before gutting them? It just makes it a little bit cleaner um, because I save every part. Of that particular pig, I save every single part. I cook and eat every single part. The ribs... The shanks on the legs, everything. The neck, the neck, and the jowls are some of the best part. But when you gut them like we did today, uh, those pigs on their ribs didn't have quite enough fat to to save the meat in it, uh, on the ribs part. I mean, you, you can you can save them, but you're going to have to have like four slabs of ribs to make a meal for one person mm. on the small ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you gut those in the field, the only thing you're doing is it gets the inside a little bloody, which is the only thing that that's going to affect is the ribs for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I guess that's the primary reason that I hang them up. So, so for, let's say you're now your guy that doesn't have three, four hundred pigs to cycle through to pick out the one he wants to eat. And, and I appreciate it. this will be the second time I've fed off this exemplary pig yeah yeah or we get what cut we having tonight uh what cut you want i don't know what cut you thought i could <laughs> i got i got some shoulder some shoulder chops and uh and some some regular loin chops 
Um, it is when you eat it, it's not a domestic pig. No, no, it's good. It's fatty, but it's still different. Yeah, it's not like you bought it at Whole Foods. Right, right. It doesn't have the marbling that domestic pig has. Yeah. It has the external fat, but no internal fat. It's good stuff. Yeah, and uh, how's that? How's that pig meat coming? Is he cooking right now? No, I got it in the. I'm waiting on you to stop asking me questions so I can go prepare oh, it. Okay, so <laughs> let's say you're a guy who doesn't have the luxury of like sifting through 300 pigs to find the one he wants to eat. Just give me quick, quick, dirty. What's a fellow looking for? In a wild pig. If I if it was if it was me and I didn't have the access that I have, I would choose a uh, you know fifty to eighty pound female that does not have a litter of pigs on the ground, so she's not lactating, and uh, a fatter one, which I don't know how you would you don't you can't really choose them. Um, you know what I mean? You can't look at a group and say I want that one. And, you know, that's going to be the best eating one. You have to get them on the ground and get up to them. Yeah. Um, but if other, it would, if that's, that's would be my, my ideal pig, but the, the 30 pounders, the 30 pounders that are in decent condition, body condition, those things are, I mean, those are awesome. You cannot screw those up, but nobody wants to shoot those because they want the biggest one out of the pack. It goes back to the ego thing. With yeah. People. So when a sounder, which is a group of pigs, like a family group, when a sounder pigs run out, people are like just i'm gonna shoot instinctively the go to the biggest one yeah i always shoot a medium-sized female if a group comes out yeah like a meat hunter yeah a, a knowledgeable meat hunter is not looking for the giant right right because usually even if it's even if it's if it's a female that's giant uh she that usually means she's older and it's gonna be a little little tough and maybe a little gamey mm-hmm and you're saying a big old boar, nuts and tat, can just have a stink to it. Yeah, I, I've had a couple Europeans of them. Europeans like it. Yeah, I've had a couple of them that did not smell like a boar when I was cleaning them. But as soon as you started cooking the meat, the smell would just take over the house. Yeah. And, uh, and that smell, every time you put it on a fork and put it up to your mouth, that smell would hit your nose before the meat hit your mouth. It didn't have, the, it didn't have a bad flavor. It was just the smell that would make it unappetizing now do this rate the uh quality of the mule deer buck we had for dinner last night <laughs> in a what one, one to ten, ten. say nine buck meat phenomenal yeah that buck was I've never i would never i've never rated a buck over a five let me give you that that buck this is like a thing to defy stuff where a lot of people are like oh you know like you can't yeah. shoot a big buck because he won't taste good dude that buck was- listen i've been told that mule deer doesn't matter fawn doe buck or it is not for the consumption of people i've eaten this is gonna sound like a bold statement but it's, i've eaten thousands of pounds of deer meat and that yanni's 195 inch ruddy old <laughs> That was some of the best buck meat I've had in a long time last night. That was that was top. Dude, it was good. I was surprised how good it was. Yanni's a fine cook. Well, you know, I think a lot goes into it, though, because it was killed with one quick shot, you know? That gun went off, and he was dead three to five seconds later. Cold weather. Cold weather. Cleaned very quickly, you know, hung, very well taken care of meat, you know. It's also been sitting in my freezer for six months now. 
because it's interesting. I've been talking to, you know, Clayton, who we're going to see tomorrow, and then you now mentioning the adrenaline thing about a trapped pig, you know, versus one that's just shot. And I shot a mule deer that was half the size of that one in Montana and had one of my worst, like, shooting uh, episodes episodes ever. <laughs> and just, like, I didn't even have, I had took off my glove because I'm always telling everybody, take your glove off before you shoot. You know, you're going to touch that trigger accidentally. And did not have my crosshairs on this buck and, you know, missed him on the first shot. Glove on? Because, no, glove off. Oh, okay. And I was just kind of basically just getting ready to get it done. It was like, it's on right now. But before I brought my crosshairs to him, you know, missed him completely. He runs. Yeah, and so it, No, I didn't. That's the thing. It was weird. Anyways, yeah, it turns into a big shootout, you know, five or six rounds later and him being pretty stressed out, you know, he's dead. And that buck, I mean, it's even his backstrap. I mean, you can take a chunk that's of his backstrap that's 18 inches long and hold it by one end, and it doesn't bend. Yeah, thaw it out. You know yeah, what I mean? It's just it. got so much just lactic acid buildup. Yeah. Yeah. Stop me if I told this story before. One time, uh, I know I've told you, but stop me if I told you on this here format. Um, and then we'll wrap it up, and you go cook that pig meat. Yeah, this is my concluding thought. Um, one time I was hunting. And I shot a mule deer on a, a mule deer buck in November on a pretty steep slope with some wet snow on the ground. And the buck slid down the hill out of my view. So he's kind of like sliding down toward me, but gets to like a, you know, a bench and vanishes. I just think it slid out of view. I go up there and I start looking around and I cannot find that buck anywhere. This is in an area that has a lot of big sinkholes. It's like heavily eroded um, breaks country where you got like a heavily eroded river channel. makes like canyon country, flats up on top. And I realized that there's a hole in the ground, maybe like the top of a barrel. And I find some blood in the snow and realize that, that blood ends at the mouth of that hole. Now walking around this area, you see these holes and you think like there's got to be dead people in some of these holes from way ago. Like, just, like you know what I mean? It's like, because they're all covered up in sagebrush and stuff, naturally occurring. And they'll have an outlet way far away. So it's like a cave. And if you sniff around and look around way down in the cut, you'll sometimes find where all that mud busted out of the ground and washed away down the river. I shined down in there and it's shaped like an hourglass. And it was 13 feet deep. And I can see, I'm looking through the whole that's the size of a barrel and it's open like a small room down in there. And I can see the buck jumping around down in the bottom of the deep hole and not thinking about sound. I, it was getting dark and I trying to look down in there, down my barrel. It's too dark for my scope. I shoot and blow my eardrums like you wouldn't believe because my head's down the, I'm leaning down into that hole and I shoot into the hole and it just rattled my cage in the worst possible way. By the time I kind of regroup mentally, my ears are, you know, I can't see anything down the hole. I go down and we're camped, tent camping on the river out of canoes. Come up the next day in daylight with a big hunk of rope, took the bow line off the canoe and came up and my buddy held my ankles 
And I got down in there, was able to get a lasso around that deer's antler and pull it up out of there. I had never hit it a second time. The, my shot that blew my ears missed. That buck was the only wild game animal, the only big game animal I've ever handled that you honestly could not eat the meat. It was so foul and it was frigid. We have had a long, long debate about whether or not about what went on with that buck. And we butchered the whole dang buck and we were like, we would cook a piece of meat and then go outside to eat it trying to rule out that there was something in the house that made him taste this way. And we had a long debate that still is unresolved. Was it because he was down in there, not dead for a long time, and just under tremendous amounts of stress, or because he was insulated and soured in that hole? As part of the experiment, my brother once cut off the hair patch on a mule deer's, the cut off the tarsal hair patch, on a mule deer and put it in a Ziploc bag and then wiped that on a piece of meat he was about to eat and ate the piece of meat trying to replicate the taste of that buck that came out of that hole in the ground. I still don't know today. It was, what, which one was it worse? It wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad, but it wasn't that. It wasn't, it wasn't that. that bad. That it wasn't, was it wasn't the taste. So he ate urine-flavored meat, basically. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I my, I feel as though because it was so unbelievably cold, it was well below zero that night. Um, matter of fact, our, our river trip ended because the river froze. So I feel it had something to do with just the enormous amount of stress the deer was under. And it's funny because it, it, this story starts to make its own gravy because a thing I've brought up is a lot of people who will get into hunting, and, and I feel that people get into hunting and they've some aspect of their life maybe they've been told the hunting's bad right and they'll get into hunting because they really feel like deep down they want to hunt but they want someone to tell them it's okay part of the way that they find their way into it is they go like oh it's so humane like industrial slaughter facilities are um so stressful for animals and it's just grotesque and you don't know what goes on there and i'll go out and cleanly get my own animals in this super humane way and he's just happy and living his life and then all of a sudden right he's dead and i look at that case i'm like well that's a direct that that's like a a direct contradiction to that line of thinking and i'm a very experienced hunter who's done a tremendous amount of hunting right and i don't make a lot of mistakes i make some i don't make a lot um I couldn't anticipate a giant hole in the ground that I wouldn't be able to fish my deer out of. But I think that that animal was stressed and suffered to a point that, that, that was so extreme that it uh, ruined the meat. And in the meat processing industry, there's a term of red cutter, which would be a highly stressed out animal that has carcass attributes that make it that they'll pull it off the line. And I think I had a red cutter mule deer. What do you think about that? That was my concluding uh, yeah. thought. I think I think that's what happened. Not the not the souring. Cold night. You southern rebs wouldn't know the kind of cold I'm talking about, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Yanni, what's your concluding thought? Uh, it's kind of another question for Ben. I want does it because I was doing some re- reading on you know the wild pigs in Texas before we came down here. 
it sounds like after talking to you that it was before you really came into pigs that they went from being this kind of like very cool novelty that everybody wanted just a little bit of. And then all of a sudden, by the time you got into pigs, people were already like, please come on to my place. Yes, we'll pay for your corn and trap them away. Right. So you can't really probably speak too much to that transition. Right. Or I don't know if maybe if you can from like your dad's experience or, you know, other people that you knew. But there obviously was a time when everybody was just like pretty much on board. It was like, yeah, sweet. He's well, like, like, let's have a, just a few of these around because it's cool. Right. Well, that's, that's how it was, like I said, whenever I was little, you know, six and seven, eight years old growing up hunting deer, they were a treat. And, you know, we, we loved them. We weren't trying to eradicate them. We just we, we shot them and hunted them. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but then whenever I was, you know, in that few six, seven-year period is when they really started, they kind of flipped that page and, now they're a nuisance. Yep. Before, whenever to I was some people. to some people, when I was younger, it wasn't like that. It just it, that's about that time is whenever I saw it turn a page. And so back to just like paying for a pig hunt. Do you feel like because now because I just before I came down here, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's like, man, I'd love to go down there and shoot some wild pigs. But by golly, I'm not going to pay for it, you know, because I know that they are varmin. Do you feel like that opportunity Maybe by some phone calls or some connection, it exists. Yeah. Like for a, a guy that's not the average Joe Blow, dumbass public guy that you said that the farmer dislikes more than he dislikes his pigs. Right. You make some phone calls, make yourself sound like a, like a responsible, good hunter that closes gates, you'll probably get a free pig hunt. Yeah, it might take you a handful of calls, but yeah. you'd, get, you'd get one. Well, let me explain my pig hunting spot. Um. The place I've done the bulk of my pig hunting is in California, Central Valley, and I went to graduate school with a gal whose dad is a large animal vet in California, and through talking to her and whatnot, I became friendly with uh, the father, approached him about pigs, got a very provisional invitation to come out and hunt pigs for a couple days, was told where to go when to go there, who to come check back in with right away. I now have a standing invitation to hunt pigs on three beautiful pieces of property out there anytime I want. As a matter of fact, in my notebook, I got a note from him explaining to anyone that messes with me to mind their own business. <laughs> so, yeah, I did it. It can be done. Yeah. And I didn't do it through my work. I did it through a college friend. Yeah. He, this guy don't give a shit what I do for a living. Yeah. You know, it's just like I just took it slow. I already did my concluding thought. Chris? I got another hunting permission where <laughs> I started out like, yeah, I started out by hunting squirrels on a guy's place. Eventually, he's like, you know what? You ever want to do a little deer hunt, turkey hunt? You come on out after squirrel hunting. Right. Right. Not leaving the gates open and shooting off toward his barn and whatnot. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten gained permission on places down here in a similar fashion. People that I've never met before, meet them for the first time, you know, uh, and then just kind of talk to them a few a few times throughout the season, and then that even just just kind of developing a friendship without even without going and hanging out with them, just talking to them. Mm-hmm. And then they they said, well, you, you know, you like to, you like to hunt, right? And I said, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can come out and hunt on my place anytime you want. Yep. And it's just, you, you have to develop that friendship and, and that trust 
before they'll just let you come out. You can't just call somebody and say, you got a pig problem? I'm going to come out there and shoot them for you. And boy, am I going <laughs> to shoot a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, uh, concluding thoughts? Yeah, I got a, I got, it's kind of a hypothetical question for Ben. Uh, since you've spent so much time on both species, say you're like sitting in a blind one night taking photos and you see the biggest buck you've ever seen and then like 10 seconds later you see the biggest boar pig you've ever seen which one would you get more I'd excited be, about seeing i'd be clicking about a thousand pictures of both yeah of but both. which one would get you more like no i thought you were talking about with a gun you mean with this camera yeah no, i mean just saying more excited just, yeah, just, just more like a fired up. See. just oh, more yeah. more fired up like based on how much work you put into it and like scientifically like which one are you i man that's a tough question i think i do the pigs just because they're less desired Really? Yeah, everybody loves big deer, and everybody's always going to love big deer. Big pigs are, they're, nobody likes. I mean, just nobody likes pigs. Yeah. He, last night, Ben was explaining to me the extremes that people go through for big deer, and he said that he's seen people get divorced over big white-tailed bucks. Yeah. Uh, it's your turn now for a concluding thought. You don't have to have one. I don't have, I, don't, have I don't have to ask myself a question. Like y'all. <laughs> no, you just have a thought, a random thought. Talk about whatever you want. It's just you get a chance to not even be within the flow of conversation. Marital advice is often given at this point. <laughs> He's not married. I, I don't think I have a room to talk about that. <laughs> uh no, I don't know. But you might have some uh, advice on the subject, you know, that goes around marriage. <laughs> Me and Yannick could give you marital advice. <laughs> you don't have to have a concluding thought. No, I don't. I don't know. I've, I feel like I've, uh, I've said enough. Yeah, well, there you have yeah. it. Ben yeah. Banyan, thank you for joining. Yeah. Wealth of uh, information. Thank you for having me. Go cook my pig meat. <laughs> it's going to be dark. <laughs>
Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.